But before we get into Palm Sunday, we must first... Dun, dun, dun. Are you ready? Um, just want to make sure you're paying attention. Uh, we need to know the backstory. We want to know the backstory to Palm Sunday. There is a backstory. It's a fantastic backstory. We want to know the backstory before we get into uh, Palm Sunday. And uh, there's a couple of events that we want to know about that are taking place in the context of Palm Sunday in order to better understand Palm Sunday. So, uh, event number one that we want to better understand is that uh, this takes place, uh, Palm Sunday takes place during a time that is known as the Passover festival. The Passover festival is going on. And what that means is that Jews would come from all over the Roman, the, the Roman world uh, for this week-long celebration uh, where they would celebrate the Passover. In other words, they would celebrate uh, being freed and released and led out of slavery when they were in uh, Egypt. And so you remember the Old Testament, the nation of Israel enslaved in, in Egypt, and Moses comes and lead them out. A great time of celebration for the, uh, the nation of Israel will be freed. And so every year they would come together during the Passover, and they would celebrate the passing over of the death angel and those who were marked by the blood of the lamb in the doorway. And so all of those things. And so uh, literally... Uh, hundreds and hundreds, uh, thousands, thousands of Jews from all over the known Roman world would come together in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so picture downtown Port Byron during Tugfest. <clears throat> Never been to Tugfest. They, they, they canceled it the first year I moved to town. So, uh, But they tell me it was really crowded and really packed and a lot of people would go there. And, and so all these people from all over the place would go and be, and so they were there. They were there in Jerusalem um, and they were just, just getting started this week-long celebration on that, we'll call it that Sunday of Palm Sunday before the deal's uh, going down there, okay? Now there's one other event in the backstory. One other event in the backstory is uh, Palm Sunday takes place and that's this. <clears throat> Jesus has been, he's been for the last three years tra- traveling around doing his earthly ministry, right? He's going from town to town. He is communicating to people. He's healing people. Uh, he's, you know, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the, the lame, you know, oh, a tennis elbow. You know, they didn't have tennis, you know, and Jesus would heal them of, he'd heal them, right? Jesus would heal uh, them. And uh, literally, uh, he could draw crowds of uh, thousands and thousands, maybe fifteen or twenty thousand people would come to listen to Jesus, and and so his name was out there. People wanted to be close to him and hear from him, and so thousands and thousands of people knew of him. And then just a few days uh, prior to, just a few days prior to Palm Sunday, Jesus does something incredible. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus has got some close friends, Mary, Martha, and and Lazarus, and they're related to each other. And Jesus is in one area, and he is, he's going about doing his ministry. He's, he's telling people about his father, and that he's the son, and and that he's ultimately going to be the only way to salvation. And he's healing them, and telling them to love people, and uh, teaching them, uh, you know, and the Old Testament says this, but now I start a new covenant, and, and he's teaching them, and, and doing his thing. And and then some of Jesus' close friends, they make their way to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, there's something we want you to know. Your good friend, Lazarus, is very, very sick. 
fact, he's probably going to die unless you go and, 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 and heal him right now. Please come and take care of your good friend, our good friend, Lazarus. And Jesus looks right at them and he says, um, I understand what's going on. And, uh, but I am not going to go there uh, right now and, and take care of him because I'm here doing ministry work here. Uh, well, they leave Jesus and they go back and sure enough, Lazarus dies. Well, uh, while they go back and Lazarus dies and they are in mourning a few days later, Jesus comes and shows up on the scene where Lazarus has passed away and uh, he hears them crying and mourning. And, and this, this all takes place in John chapter, uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 1 through 54. And, and uh, it's inside of John chapter 11 where we get the shortest verse in the Bible. And that Bible verse is, Jesus wept. Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept. And so uh, here they are. And Jesus, uh, Jesus is empathizing. He is empathizing with these guys. And he communicates to them. He says, um, I know, essentially, he's saying, uh, uh, he says, essentially, I know I could have been here earlier, and I know I could have made him well, but I didn't come on purpose. And they come up to Jesus and say, if you would have just come earlier, and he says to them, uh, I know that if I would have came earlier, we could take care of this thing. But I have allowed these things, these things have happened so that I can show you and demonstrate so that your faith will be strengthened and you will understand. And then what does Jesus do? Uh, they go over to the grave and, uh, and they had put uh, Lazarus in a tomb. They put, they covered it up and he communicates to them, what I want you to do, I know it's been four days, but I, I want you to go over, I want you to open up the grave. And they insist, Jesus, that, that's not a good idea. That's, that's a bad idea because he's, his body has been dead. He's been in the grave for When you open the door, it's going to smell really bad. He's, it's going to be horrible. We can't, we, you want to do that. And he says, well, who am I? Don't, don't you have faith in me? Don't, don't you believe? And he says, okay, Jesus, will open the door. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, you know, what's he say? Come. Yeah, come forth, right? Come on out of there, you know? Get up. Yeah, move it, you know? Kicks him in the ribs. And, and so, and, and so Lazarus literally comes out of the grave, right? And they go over and they embrace him and they're like, he, do, he doesn't even smell like it. He doesn't smell like a tomb. He doesn't, you know, they, look at what has happened. Now, he just raised him from the dead. Now, there were all of these people that were making their way, thousands of people making their way to Jerusalem. And then Jesus just raises someone from the dead. And the word is out there and the word is buzzing around. He raises Lazarus from the dead. But then this thing happens. John chapter 11, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in Jesus. People, thousands and thousands of people had been and then started from that point and they put their faith in Jesus. Now this was uh, concerning to the religious leaders of the day. 
because they had the power. And if you wanted to know something about uh, what God was going to do according to the Old Testament, uh, you needed to go check in with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they would set you straight. But all of a sudden, Jesus was a more a learned uh, a teacher, and they liked his answers better. And all of a sudden, he's raising somebody uh, from uh, the dead. And this is a very incredible thing that takes place. And then uh, what takes place after that as a result of the fact that people are putting their faith, and he's challenging the, um, the, the power structure that is in place already. And it says, verse 46, But some of them went to the Pharisees, and told them what Jesus had done. Do you realize this Jesus guy? That all these people are following him? He just raised somebody from the dead? And then look what it says in the very next verse. Verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Dun, dun, dun. Look at the very next verse. Verse 54. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Jesus went dark. He ghosted them. All of a sudden, he was nothing. He just was moving around very quietly, timidly with his friends, wasn't making any more public appearances, wasn't going out and teaching to crowds of thousands. So here comes Palm Sunday, right? Here comes Palm Sunday, right? Here comes Palm Sunday. All these people pouring into Jerusalem. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Nobody has seen Jesus. What's going on? Well, let's look at the map. Where's all this take place? So uh, can you find Jerusalem on a map? Uh, y'all, uh, hopefully you can find uh, Jerusalem on a map. Here's a map. <clears throat> so you can see the Mediterranean Sea there. There's Italy, uh, France up there with uh, uh, rants, just rants. We don't have France here, just rants. And, um, and so you kind of make your way over Greece, Turkey, right, Egypt. And then over there in the red circle, uh, that is uh, uh, Israel, right? So the next picture here, and then we got Israel on the left-hand side. And then you kind of see the red dot there, and that's Jerusalem on the right side. You've got, and you know, uh, somebody, I had, a, I had one of my uh, favorite Bible college professors. He said, I believe the Bible's true from Genesis all the way through the maps. You know, so some of you understand what that, and some of you guys, if you only use a digital Bible, you have no idea what that means, but old time Bibles, they had maps in the back. And so, and so you got Jerusalem over here, and, and then, uh, this is kind of a blown up now. There's the city of Jerusalem. It's got the, the wall that goes around it. Now that wall originally was built clear back. King David and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, Solomon is the one that built the temple, and you've got the, uh, the temple. You can see, I don't know if you can see where it says temple there. And, uh, so go to the next picture. And so here's the city of Jerusalem's got walls around it. Those, wall, those walls are, are still around it today. They're not the, the, the walls that were built uh, 4,000 years ago. By, they've, they've been torn down in wars and built back up and torn down. And, and then there's what they call the Temple Mount, the Temple Mount. And, um, and then so here we have Bethany. Bethany, see the green line? Bethany. And then you move forward to Bethphage. And that green line there represents it's about two miles from Bethany to the Temple Court. And that is the trail that Jesus is going to take on the colt uh, that's with the donkey there. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. And you can see the river that goes through there, the Kindred Valley. So if you were to go there today, what's that look like? Here's a picture. And so uh, this this uh, fellow down here on the right <clears throat> with the nice hat, he's looking across the Kindred Valley. And over there, that big gold dome, that's actually a Muslim mosque that is on the Temple uh, Mount uh, there. And he's looking across the Kindred Valley. Next picture. 
And so here's the Temple Mount, uh, Kindred Valley. And you can kind of see there's a little grassy line going up on the other side there. The Mount of Olives is all up there. And that's, uh, you know, some of these things are over, you know, the last couple of thousand years. They, you know, they shift a little bit. But if you were to go there today, uh, we don't know that you're stepping exactly where Jesus stepped. But, you know, if you were to go there today, they would say, this this is what it would look like, essentially, when Jesus is there, you know, minus... The, the Muslim mosque. Muslims weren't, they didn't come around until years, years after, after Jesus. But um, <clears throat> that, that's what it would look like. So that's the backstory. All these people, all these people pouring into Jerusalem. Jesus would go to the temple and he'd preach there, but now he's on the lowdown and nobody has seen Jesus. Can you feel the suspense? I'm trying to make it suspenseful. Can you feel the suspense? It's kind of, and nobody knows where he's at. And all these people are going there and they're talking about him. And he just healed Lazarus from the dead. And so now we're going to unpack the story. Now we're going to unpack the story of the triumphal entry. And now we're going to, we're going to leave John and we're going to jump over to Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew's account of the triumphal entry. Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. It says, as they, who were the they? It was just now small group. Jesus and his disciples. Jesus and Jesus and his disciples. Small group, not a big thing here. Small group. As they approached Jerusalem, we saw the little green line, they're walking, uh, and they came to Bethphage, we saw that on the map there, on the Mount of Olives, we talked about where that's at. Uh, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt, little baby donkey, with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And so Jesus is on the outside, got a little, little, uh, little group of disciples with them and they're making their way and Jesus knows. Jesus is fully aware that he's going to make his way into the temple and that there are going to be people there. And so he sends them ahead and says, guys, go, go there. Now, how, listen, uh, just a couple of interesting points. <clears throat> how, many, how many people does Jesus send? He sends two. Yeah, write that down. He sends two disciples. He says, two of you. I want two of you to go down there and do this. Two are better than one. It makes a stronger cord. Where two or three gather, Bible tells us, that Jesus is with them. Teamwork helps. Write that down. Teamwork, uh, teamwork helps in family. Teamwork helps in business. Teamwork helps in athletics. Teamwork helps in prayer. Why do we have a prayer chain? Or why do we make prayer announcements? Because we want people to present their requests to the Lord. And we, and if it's us that's on that list, we want people, we want a lot of people presenting uh, us to the Lord. And we do that for other people. And teamwork helps in encouragement. And so write this down. Jesus does not want us to go it alone. Jesus does not want us to go it alone. We are not to be islands unto ourselves. In fact, in the book of Genesis, it says not good for a man to be alone. Jesus doesn't want us to go alone. So he sends two of them ahead to get that donkey and its colt. Think about this. He communicates to them. They might ask you, well, what are you doing taking my donkey and my colt? And he says, well, you just tell them. The Lord needs them. And they're going to be okay with that. They're going to be okay with that. 
Here's the point. Write this down. Everything belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord and is to be used for His kingdom. Now what I want you to do is think about, think about all those things that you owned before you were born. Okay? Now I want you to think about all those things you're going to own after you die. Okay, and and now when we are here, and you know, and we're alive, I think, you know, uh, looking around, just checking, and and so we're we're alive here this morning, and so there's kind of this before uh, we were here, and then there's this during or while we're here thing, and then there's this after thing here, and isn't it true that all of the resources that that we encounter, there's kind of the, they're there, they're before, during, they're just kind of all, and and so what do we really, really own? What do we really, really own? The reality is, is that all of the resources that God put on this planet are for him and his kingdom because he's the forever God, right? And so uh, everything belongs to the Lord. Sometimes we get possessive. Sometimes we think it's mine and we get a little bit upset if somebody takes that away. But if it's the Lord's, we have a good, we have a better perspective. Everything. And so here we go. We're unpacking the story. We're unpacking the story. And so it moves on. Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 21, verse 4. Then Matthew explains these things. This took place, this whole idea of Jesus going and saying, hey, I, I get that donkey and bring its colt with me. And this, the, the reason that Matthew even tells us this stuff is because he wants us to know this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. That's actually a couple of prophets. It says, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so what's going on here? Matthew is quoting Old Testament prophecy. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever went to those guys and said, hey, I'm going to need that there donkey. Hundreds of years before that ever took place, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that that is exactly what was going to take place. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you right and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isaiah chapter 62 verse 11 says, The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes. What's that mean? Write this down. Jesus arrives on purpose. On purpose. It was not an accident. It was not a, well, this looks like a good day. Maybe I'll just kind of wander into Jerusalem and see what's going on there. A lot of people going there. Seems like it might be quite the place to be. And so I'm just going to sneak in there and, and walk around. No. Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. It had been prophesied. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the life of Jesus. Everything he does is on purpose and with intentionality to convince you and me he is the one and only Son of God. There is no one like him. There is no equal to him. The story continues in verse 6 and it says this. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. Always good advice. Little side note there. Always good advice. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. Then they did this. 
they placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Why, why do they do that? Well, in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 9, uh, verse 13, uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Kings, why is it called Kings? Uh, because it's the story of the kings of the nation of Israel. And they would, uh, there'd some kings would only be a little bit, and then there'd be a family squabble, and somebody would kill them. And other kings would be there for a long time, and uh, some of the kings were, were obedient to God, and some of the kings were not obedient to God. And so there's this list of kings that were, and so uh, according to 2 Kings chapter 9, the new guy appointed king. And they wanted everybody to know he's king. And so they took, they took, they, they had coats, they took their coats off and they placed them on a, on a donkey and then they put the king on it and it was a symbol. This is our king. And so why did they do that? They said, this is our king. Verse eight says this. A very large crowd. Say that. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees. I think Luke tells us it's the palm branches. They cut tr- uh, branches from trees and spread them on the road. Listen, here's what you need to know. Write this down. Placing your cloaks and branches shows kingship. Taking off that coat and putting it down or putting those palm branches out shows kingship. They were saying, this guy that is on this little colt riding alongside that, that donkey is making its way. This is our king. And he leaves the area of Bethany and Bethphage and begins to make his way down that journey towards the temple gate and to, towards Jerusalem. And as he is making his way down there, there are thousands of people beginning to gather and lay their coats and put palm branches down there. And listen to what it says in verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What were they saying there? They were quoting King David. King David who wrote a couple thousand years earlier in the book of Psalms, chapter 118, verse 25 and 26. They were simply quoting an Old Testament song. Hosanna to the highest. This is our king in their actions of placing their coats in the palm branches. And now they were just declaring it right out loud. And then in verse 10, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city, say the whole city, the whole city was stirred and was asking, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. The entire city was all stirred up and they were saying, who is this guy? And they were saying, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. That's who that is. That is Jesus Christ. And he is worthy. We call him King. He is our Lord. And we declared that boldly out in front of everyone. Now what else might the people have been thinking about when the whole city of Jerusalem was stirring? Hmm. When was the last time we know the city stirring? Well, Matthew tells us, Matthew records the birth of Jesus. Matthew records that uh, little baby Jesus was put in a manger, and you know the nativity, and uh, you you can start saving and start shopping right now for Christmas, it's coming. You remember the nativity? 
and uh, the nativity is there. And so who's at, who's at the, uh, Jesus is in. And then you remember the wise men, the wise men came and uh, they were looking for Jesus. They were following the star. And you remember they went and they saw Herod and they said, hey, Herod, uh, you know, we're, we're on our way. I mean, you know where this new king is. We're looking for the new king. And Herod was the king. And so said, what, what, new, what new king are you talking about? You know, uh, who is this? Here? And uh, I said, we're looking for the new king. We want to find that king. And, and Herod said, oh, yeah, yeah, that king. Well, if you find that new king, you let me know because I want to worship him too, right? Uh, but then, you know, the angel lets them know, no, no, don't go back there. And remember, Herod did. Herod declares, any child that's under two years, we're going we're gonna to make them go away because it was threatening his throne. And, and then in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, it says, when the king, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Hmm. wonder if they were putting that together. Remember back in the day? Now here he is. And the whole place was going bananas because Jesus, their king, who had been on the down low and could raise people from the dead, is making his public triumphal entry. What a way to start the week. Y'all need to come back next week and we'll talk about, as you know, some of y'all remember Paul Harvey, right? And, and so next week we'll talk about the rest, the rest of the story, but... We'll just draw some conclusions from what's taken place so far. Some of the crowd had expectations when maybe they looked down across the Kindred Valley and maybe there was this, uh, this crush of people that began to make their way out uh, to where he was and the whole city begins to stir. Some of those people had expectations. They, they must have been very, very excited that this Jesus that was on the down low for a while, where did he go? Where'd he, how come we haven't seen him for a, a while? And maybe they, they, they probably were like, oh good, here he comes. Why? Why was it, oh good, here he comes? Well, Maybe some of those people simply wanted to grab a hold of his coattails. They knew he was going to be a powerful leader, and they wanted to tuck up under his wing so that they too could kind of be powerful leaders. We even saw the disciples kind of having uh, that debate from time to time. Jesus, when you're on your throne, you know, who's going to sit right next to you? Who's going to? And maybe there were other people in the crowd that just wanted to snuggle up uh, to Jesus because they wanted prosperity or power or. Maybe they wanted some kind of recognition. Maybe there were people in that crowd. Maybe there were people there that were hoping that Jesus could exact uh, revenge on some of those people that were persecuting them. And they wanted to be close. They were waiting for Jesus to get to power so that, you know, get noticed. He's going to take all my enemies out of here. And maybe there were people in that crowd. Maybe some of those people were anticipating, well, he could raise Lazarus from the dead. We know he raised other people from the dead, and maybe maybe they can take care, maybe he can take care of my brother or my sister. We know he healed people. Maybe maybe he can heal me. Maybe he can take care of me. Maybe they needed a friend. Maybe they wanted him to calm the storm that was going on in, in their life. Which begs this good question. What do you hope for in Jesus? Why do you want to be close to Jesus? What do you hope for in Jesus? 
there was another crowd that was in the crowd. And uh, another element that was inside of that crowd, they were a people that as soon as they saw Jesus, and maybe they had been anticipating and waiting and couldn't, be, they couldn't wait to get close to him again, because as soon as they saw him, they were the first ones to just pull off that coat and lay it down right in front of him and say, Hosanna to the king. Maybe you're in that crowd. And there are things you know you need to remove from you and lay them down for the king. We have things in our life that we need to lay down before the king. For some, it's our pride, self-reliance, our belief that we can do it all without a Savior. The reality is, is it does not matter how good you are, you will never be good enough to earn your way into heaven. We have to lay it all down. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. The only access that I will ever have into eternity is through my Savior Jesus who paid the price on the cross for my sins. There was another crowd that was there and they were the ones asking the question, who is this Jesus? Maybe you're in that crowd. Have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Have you been baptized into Christ? Do you acknowledge Him as King? Will you remove yourself and lay yourself before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I desire to surrender my heart and my life to You. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to do business with Jesus and you need to say, Father, search my heart If there's things that I need to put in front of you, help me find them, and I give them to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never accepted Him as Savior, you need to be right with Jesus. You need to give your life to Him and be baptized into Him. If you have never done that, that's a conversation that I would like to have with you. How do you get baptized? Why would you get baptized? What does it mean to be baptized? I'd love to go over all of that with you. We can sit down and we can talk it out. Whatever God is placing on your heart right now, do exactly what he says. Follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Help us to be more obedient to him in all that we do. He is our king. He is our Lord, and to you we say, Hosanna, blessed is he who has come in the name of our Lord, and amen.